but when he looked up, he was relieved to see that the monstrous insect had become firmly jammed in its efforts to penetrate the narrow passage. You're listening to the Trap One Podcast. I'm Mark. I am John. And I'm Pete. Hi guys, uh, so have you fully absorbed the Sinister Sponge and other stories? I, we have. Those, those were really brief introductions, Mark. <laughs> he said, I'll say I'm Mark, and then, you, then John, then Pete. So I didn't really know how much information you wanted up front. I could be anyone, could be John Craven. Uh, I'm, I'm not. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm Pete, and I have listened to the Sinister Sponge and other stories, and I feel like this is a safe space for me to admit that. <laughs> <laughs> my, my name is John Feedenby. I have also listened to the Sinister Sponge. I've listened to other Doctor Who audio annuals as well. Have you? Oh, well, you see, because I just went straight in at the deep end with this thing, and, and, and just, I'm still shaking. Well, as we were discussing before we pressed record, Pete, there there is no... There's, there's no allowance for the casual listener here. You have to have done your homework. And, and or, 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 or just, just the rules of, 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 of anything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're in English. They're, in, they're sentences. They're definitely sentences. <laughs> so some of, some of them are, yes. There's a very, very, very early on. Sorry, Mark, you wanted some structure and, you know, we'll let you have that. But I, I didn't know if this was like an inelegance of the writing or if, if the reader just got something wrong. Um, but it's like the, the second or third line of the first story talks about these peculiar metal moving trees that are peculiar to this planet. And you go, well, that's, that's, a, lot of, that's a lot of occurrences of peculiar in quite a short sentence. Yeah, yeah, and, and was it just was that the word of the week? <laughs> I well, I, I I don't know if it was John Culshaw maybe getting a bit ahead of himself. Anyway, they yeah. recovered nicely, and two hours and ten minutes later, I wasn't still fuming about it at all. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't the only thing that you picked up from the for the first story. Uh, was it Terror on no. Cairo in terms of John Culshaw's reading thereof? I'm, look, I made an error. And I've apologised for the error. What, you want me to confess to it in public? Well, I thought there was still some ambiguity. Was your story? I, I, I don't think there is. Right. Okay. <clears throat> My problem was this. Um, there is a sentence in the first story. What's it called? Terror on Tyro, mm-hmm. isn't it? Uh, where Doctor Who, and I love the way throughout this, the Doctor is Doctor yes. Who, and he yeah. travels in, in TARDIS. That, this, straight away, that, that, that's making me happy. Anyway, Doctor Who is getting... For, I was going to say for for reasons I'm not going to go into, but I don't think it was for reasons really. It was just a thing that was happening. He was getting giant cabbages rolled at him by an ant, giant ant. Now I'm quite a lazy talker, and when I, I all my words run together, so you know I would call a monster ant a monster ant. But John Culshaw, who's a proper proper performer, who knows how to enunciate, separates his words. And to separate ant from the word monster, because that's two kind of sort of open vowel-y sounds, he's got a bit of a glottal stop. So he talks about a monster ant. And I, I misheard the word ant as the rude, rudest word in the world. And I, I was so concerned. I thought that the BBC had maybe used the wrong take or something. And I was playing on my phone to people at work. And half of them what? were saying, Half of them was yeah, I know. So, it's, 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 really, I mean, yeah, <laughs> they chained up. 
shush, no, shush. Half, half of them said, that's terrible. You need to send that CD back to the BBC because uh, it's of that terrible word that's in it. And the other half were saying, no, he's just saying the words monster ant. And once I actually listened to it on headphones 250 times in a row, uh, yeah, he's just saying monster ant. But there is that weird glottal stop at the beginning of ant that makes it a bit filthy if, you're, if your mind's in the gutter. Well, I'm going to uh, pass off to your straw, Paul, well, if it was this year's equivalent of the uh, blue and black dress that can appear to be uh, silver and gold. Uh, so I, I'll play the clip now so that uh, the listeners at home can decide for themselves. By the powerful legs of a monster ant. My goodness. Marvel Doctor Who. I'm mystified. I listened to this in complete innocence. You didn't pick up on that at all? I didn't either, to be honest. Not me. And, and usually, uh, when there's an innuendo, I'm, I'm, I'm the first one to grab hold of it and give it a squeeze. It was um, because there's, there's my, my favourite moment in Curse of Peladon is when um, Joe rushes. Peladon says that the Doctor's got to be thrown into the pit with the Peladon with, with Agador. I mean, and, uh, um, and and Joe impassionately rushes up to the King and says, "Peladon, you can't." And, <laughs> it's an accent. Sounds a little bit like the word that I think we're um, we're skirting around. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. pussy footing would have been better, wouldn't it? So anyway, I, I, I was wrong. It's not filthy. I, I heard something that wasn't there, and I, I just think that that speaks very very poorly of me. I'm glad we got a chance to air that in public. Cheers, Mark. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> also, also, I got, got a slightly unwanted, vivid mental image when the scientist at the end of Terror of Tyro is, is he, is he, is he dragged off home by the molecular shaft or something? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> because these, I want to know, are these stories typical? We can only kind of imagine because they just aren't kept. If this kind of stuff is typical of the kind of stuff that kids were reading in annuals of other stuff adventure things around this year or did the writers of these annuals when they found out they'd got the Doctor Who gig roll up the sleeves and think right I'm going to write something in batshit crazy here <laughs> or, or, or is there a Rupert annual that's just as deranged as this <laughs> I, I think a couple of things I mean I, I think first of all I'm imagining it's hack writers who are not being paid very much. Um, and my my, my favourite bits of, of two of the earlier um, audio annuals have been that there's one called, it's something like Who is Who is Doctor Who or something like that, and the other is called The Equations of Doctor Who, um, where given absolutely no facts, these poor souls have had to, you know, trundle out a thousand words of text, and it's a thousand words of just nothing. You know, they're spinning, like, <laughs> sentences that have just basically, no, you know, no, no semantic content at all, no. And, that, you know, you can sort of collapse the whole thing and go, well, they haven't said anything there. Um, so I, I think, you know, on the, on the first point, it's probably writers who are not spectacularly invested and, and are not writing for the ages. These are things that they anticipate are going dis- to disappear quite quickly. Um, the second thing is I think they're actually quite good. Um, the, the, this one that we, we're kind of listening to now, all the six stories on there, aren't there? And they're all a little bit, you know, sort of unhinged. But they're not that far away from some of the more unhinged aspects of the TV show at the time. And there is a, a sort of, there's a, there's a charming effort that, that 
that's applied to them. The, the Terror on Tyro, which is the first story in this one, is a sequel to a story that was in the annual earlier. He talks about the Sons of Grek. Mm. And I think it all makes sense if I've followed yeah. the story well, no, no. I mean, it makes even less sense. You just you just got sort of twice twice as much nonsense to, to 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 sort of pick your way through. But it's not, you know, this this is not unprecedented. I mean, we're we're kind of spoiled at the moment, I think, by stuff that has a three act structure. You know, we've sort of been conditioned since at least the eighties to think that you know that sort of conf- uh, set up conflict resolution, protagonist antagonist inciting incident, all that stuff is the only way you can tell a story. You know, whereas if you go back and look at, um, you know, sort of early English folk tales and things like that, they aren't stories. They're just mad things that happen in a row. Um, so, you know, I, 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 kinda, I quite value that. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. I remember going to a folktale thing once where a, a lady, we all sat around a fire and, and this uh, lady with long hair um, and a sort of uh, uh, witchy matriarch look about her told us stories from the Mabinogion. Oh, and, it, and it just went on and on. And it was just like, and then she married him and then he turned into a goose. Yes. <laughs> and then the children were born and then they had the children. And then, and, and it just, yeah, and from, and it, yeah, I that's maybe a good approach to take with this because we should say we haven't set the scene, have we? This is, as you said, this is six stories, uh, yes. one and it's one from each of the first six doctors. So you yes. get, a re- and you really get to see the the progress. I'm assuming that they were all, yeah, they were all done in their own eras, weren't they? Uh, mm-hmm. They're all of their own time uh, periods, uh, and yeah, it really the the first two doctors are almost that they're they're very much. When actually, when does it stop being Doctor Who? Is it? Is it the fourth Doctor who gets called the Doctor? I can't remember. Uh, I've got a note somewhere. It I might even be the fifth. It I might even the, be the fifth the, Doctor who's the first one to be called the Doctor. It's Doctor Who until then. Uh, and, and just tra- tracing that change of, uh, of approach to it is, is interesting. But I'm jumping ahead, aren't I? Yeah, I think just go by what you're saying about it just kind of being a series of incidents. <clears throat> that is a terror on Tyro. The, the Doctor arrives on the planet. A bunch of weird stuff happens to him because he's landed on the wrong side of the Alloy Mountain. Um, and then eventually when he meets up with his friends who he's met before, they are facing an enemy. But that has had nothing to do with the events leading up to that point, have they? Which a story now that w- would have been the cause of uh, the, the obstacles and the trials that he's faced. Uh, yes. But they're totally the, the, incidental the, the, to it, aren't they? Yeah, all these rules that you have to have foreshadowing and that, you know, things mm. have to pay off in the third act. And, I, you know, I, I like that. I mean, you know, we, we're recording this at a seasonal time of the year and, I, you know, it's the time of year I like to drag out Die Hard and that's, a, you know, just a supreme example of how you can precision tool a story that's exciting, right? You know, and that everything at the end just pays off. All these things that have been sown at the beginning pay off at the end. But that is just one way of doing things. And I, you know, I, I'm equally attached to, you know, mad films. That you know, Plan Nine from Outer Space is one of my favourite films, and that you know was because the leading actor Bella Lugosi died, you know, just a couple of days after they started shooting. Mm. A lot of that was scripted on the hoof. And there's a, there's a 1970s science fiction thing uh, called Star Crash by Luigi Cozzi, Lewis Coates, as he uh, sort of hides his, uh, his name as, um, 
which again is just, it's insane. It's like they've taken loads of things from all films they like, like Star Wars and the Harryhausen films and things like that, and stuck them all together. But it doesn't really make sense. And then they end up with a big colossal problem at the end with no way of resolving it. And Christopher Plummer, who's playing this sort of it's a slightly weird Obi-Wan Kenobi character suddenly realises he has a machine to stop time. So they all go, oh, that's brilliant, got a machine to stop time. He says, yeah, but only for five minutes. So they all go, oh, right, okay. And, that, you know, there's a little jeopardy and they finish off. You go, well, just listen to yourself. Stopping time for five minutes makes no sense at all. So, so, so somebody should have caught that, but they didn't. And it makes it completely charming. I, sh- I showed it to my partner um, not long after we started going out. And we, we got to the end of it. And she said, it was, a, it was a bit like a dream. And it was. And, I, you know, I, I kind of like that. I mean, Terror, in Tyra, Terror on Tyra, which is the first story in the, the anime, which is, as Mark quite rightly says, you know, the Doctor Who lands... The, the, the beginning is, is quite like the TV series. That the beginning of the story seems to be the end of the Sons of Grack story that's in the same annual. Yeah, so, so they've at least they're patching into that from the format of the TV series, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not just a random old man then in, in a time machine. Yeah. No, no, not at all. But then, there, but there's, there's no companion. No companions, no companions at all in this one. No, but well, apart from the ones he sort of picks up in the story. But that, you know, I quite like a a thing where the TARDIS just runs out of petrol and he has to go and find some petrol, you know, which is, is effectively what happens. And I don't mind that plodding from one thing to another because there's, you know, that, that there's um science fiction writer called Larry Niven. I'm always going on about this. It's a thing called Niven Syndrome. Um, so Larry Niven wrote a book called uh, Ringworld. It's a, a couple of sequels okay. to it. Yeah, a fantastic book about, uh, you know, all the matter That's in the solar system is hammered out into a big hoop. Uh, around there's, the sun yeah. and people there's a big finish one there's a big, big finish one called um, Ringpole World there is there, there is indeed <laughs> but this Niven syndrome is you know is based on the fact that that book having a brilliant premise um, and interesting characters basically all that happens in the book is they go to the place they wander around it for a bit and then they go home and, and you know you go well that's, that's, that's ludicrous why would you do that it's not entertaining but it kind of is in and of itself you know it, it's that sort of um, the, the desire to have a conventional story that's, that's maybe wrong you know if you can sort of get past that and just accept the thing for what it is rather than what it, you want it to be and I'm pointing fingers at all the people that didn't like the recent TV adaptation of War of the Worlds here mm-hmm. you'll enjoy it a lot more yeah, I mean, it, they, these don't. Um, it's not that they're trying to do to give us that structure and, and getting it wrong. They're, they're they're clearly just going going for something else and going for a completely different method of uh, of, of, of storytelling, isn't it? And, and using um, putting all that stuff into just what crazy thing is going to happen in the next sentence? You just yeah. don't know. That's, that's the motivation for keeping reading, isn't it? It's not what which of that, that interesting point from the previous page is about to be resolved on the next page. It's what the hell is going to happen next page? Oh, it's giant ants with cabbages. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of the motivation the writers would have had would be to reach the word count by lunchtime. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> time being am probably <laughs> <laughs> there's, um, there's a lovely bit of self-owning because uh, you know it, the, a lot of the description is quite heavily lathered 
Uh, it's a bit where the doctor is relieved about something. He says, felt relief seeping through him like a warming drink. And I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so he felt relief seeping through him like a lovely breakfast whiskey, because that would be normal, wouldn't it? Just have some whiskey. <laughs> there are some nice turns of phrase in the story. I did, when, the, when he almost gets eaten by the plant, and he says something like, uh, reduced to the indignity of a mid-morning snack. <laughs> that, that was written at about half ten, eleven o'clock. Because <laughs> we don't, are, the, are, the, are the writers anonymous? Do we ever know? Do we know who actually wrote them? <coughs> I had a quite tardy wiki, and nobody was named. We we know who some of them are um, oh. through the the excellent <coughs> research of Paul Mars in compiling uh, the book, the annual years from Obverse Books, which I would highly recommend as a very very witty. Uh, Look at the uh, all the annuals and the stories contained within. Oh, Paul, Paul Mars is brilliant. What a, yeah. what a title! What a brilliant title! Yeah. <laughs> Does he has he tracked them down, or at least tracked down who they were? Yeah, he's tracked down some of them. There's uh, the back of the book. There's some there's some interviews. Oh right. Uh, so we uh, yeah, yeah we know who some of them are, but some of them I think just um, you know weren't weren't exactly writers. They they just worked for is it world world distributors. It was just people who could spell. Yeah, in, in, in Manchester, they had very little kind of uh, input from the production office or anything like that. They were just kind of left to get on with it, yeah. yeah I can't imagine Verity Lambert needing to sign off on any of these. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just get them out. Yeah, it's just fill that paper words. It's got a nice, a nice rubber stamp just that says, that'll do. And you just stamp it with red ink, that'll do. So there are some themes uh, I think that that start to emerge in the in the first story. Uh, no, 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 Mark, <laughs> there aren't. Well, <laughs> this, is in, this is in your head. Pr- principally, giant cabbages and uh, <laughs> detonating volcanoes as a way of solving problems. I think are they, uh-huh. the the two things that principally come from this. I mean, I think I think generally, I think what, what what this is reflecting is the comparatively poor diet that was available in the nineteen sixties. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> there, is, there is a, a preoccupation with just bigger versions of things from Earth and most of the, uh, most of the alien planets that they yeah. visit. The second yeah. Doctor stories follow the phantoms, uh, it's, which come... It's, it's, it's quite nice when the, the monster ants turn up and at least he says, they're a bit like Zarbi, aren't yeah. they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, followed in, in Follow the Phantoms, the second Doctor story by giant slugs, which turn up for a big battle at the end. <laughs> And, and this is where the doctor reveals he's got that nifty little uh, hovercraft heli yeah. van. What's it called? It's thing it, it, it is called Pete, as you well know. The floater. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, Jamie, to the floater. <laughs> this is a, it's in the um, it's in the tradition of the reacting vibrator, isn't it? As the yes. things you probably wouldn't call them that now. <laughs> mm. Yeah, Doctor Who's got a floater in this one. Yeah. It reminded me there was a um, 70s disco band called The Floaters. You'll both be too too young to remember Float On. Little disco song. Yeah, well, it's um, it's not worth Googling. It's a few could minutes. Could, few. could have been adapted to Croton. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a oh, Christmas party. It definitely <laughs> could. Yeah. No, well, the, shout out to any of the Trap One listeners who remember The Floaters, Float On. This, disco lives. <laughs> did um i wonder if they influenced this or if this influenced them i suspect it's just a parallel evolution Pete. 
Yeah, these things happen wherever you go. Wherever there are humans, there are floaters. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed in this one, there's a bit of... It's, it, it, it isn't just a generic Doctor Who. It, it is Patrick Troughton, definitely the second Doctor, and Jamie. Mm-hmm. And, and then Victoria is also there, but she's a bit of a... She is kind of the girl. She, yes, this is... the, the, the Yeah, the aptly names are not appearing in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, she... <laughs> Yeah, Jamie's not very Jamie-like, though, is he? With all this talk about being, things being on the blink and the Doctor saying, oh, I don't like you bringing in all these... Um, all this, I, I, yeah, like kind of modern vernacular, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And, and, but, yeah. and, and <laughs> at, at, at what point in the series did Jamie have a passion for photography? Seems to well, come... this, points to, uh, yeah. uh, this points to it being set in season 6B to me. <laughs> Yeah, um, no, unfortunately, no one comments on how good at graphology Victoria is. We don't get any mention of her handwriting, so we can't be sure whether it's before or after she went for that course at the start of the two doctors. Oh. It was totally and needlessly woven into bail to explain something. But, uh. <laughs> He's got quite a good yeah. grasp of geology as well, hasn't he? He talks about the, um, the the gas coming out of a fault line or something like that. It's the. It, I think there must be a book laying around the TARDIS on explo- well, volcanoes and explosions and yeah. uh, tectonic <laughs> um, threats. Should, uh, good, good, on that, good on that, but less good on taxonomy. Which calls it was it Cloud Seven? It's like that's not a very <laughs> good name for something, especially not if it's especially not if it's the first one you've seen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, by this point, I think I had stopped asking questions like that. Actually, and I was kind of letting it. I was kind of taking it all. There. I, think, I, think, I think it's very important to be the sort of Doctor Who fan who sits there going, "But, but why? Why if that is the case?" <laughs> it's it's one that seems. Uh, I know we're saying like they maybe were struggling to reach the word count at times. This one seems like they sort of ran out because it just, <laughs> it just ends. Yes. That's right. It's, it's, now, forgive me, it's been a while since I heard it. The deal is, there's a cloud, Jamie goes a bit too close to it, gets sucked in, there's a big war between these humanoid... That, that was weird as well. The big humanoids that are marching by the TARDIS, and they said they are definitely not human, mm-hmm. and then describes them all using specific human characteristics. It's like, they're, they're not human, but they've definitely got... Um, like, they, they look Greek. And you go, well, yeah, Greeks are humans, though, aren't they? They go, yeah, but Oriental eyes. You go, yeah, well, Oriental people are also human. You see, so what you've done so far is describe humans and say they're definitely not humans. Um, and they're, they're having a big fight with the slugs, who I've forgotten what they're called. The Scythias. Oh, very good. Mark, you are good. And I was about to say some of them go invisible, but that's not this one, is it? No, that's the next one. Oh, that's the one after next, I think. Um, Yeah, the the coming of Jamie, if you forgive the expression, has been prophesied somehow. uh, And they're expecting him to be warlike, which I was also expecting, given that he comes from a war. Uh, but, But apparently he isn't. He doesn't want to fight. And there's no... Is there ever any explanation of what the prophecy is or what's happening? Where the doctor just zips in in his floater and says, "Well, that's enough of that, and we better get back to Victoria." Yeah. That, yeah, that's, that's the end. The doctor turns up and says, "No, your stupid religion is wrong. Goodbye." <laughs> it's 
But it did seem a little well, bit like um, it was an influence on uh, Rose when the, the, the doctor sort of turns up and says, uh, grab my hand and run or something like that to, to Jamie when he rescues him from the class. Uh, I thought, clearly Russell T. Davis read that before he, yeah. uh, before he wrote Rose. Well, and is, is this also the story that has the phrase the army of ghosts in it? Ah. I, I, I think at one point the, the marching army is referred to as an army of ghosts. No, don't, don't say ah like it's something. <laughs> it's not anything. It's just, it's just a frantic attempt to rescue something interesting from this utterly weird story. How many monkeys do you need in front of how many times I eventually start doing Doctor Who continuity references? <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest as well. After... Um, John, John Colshaw, who's the one who uh, narrates the William Hartnell one, does, mm, ah, mm, does a lot of William Hartnell stuff. I was listening to the second one thinking, oh, this lad does a very good Jamie. Um, and then, <laughs> so I guess, well, of course he does, it's Fraser Heights, um, which, which I often forget. Were, were we quite pleased with the voices generally? Yes, I'd say yeah. so, especially, yeah. especially the, the, Dan the, Stark. The re- yeah, the readers really go at it with gusto, yeah. uh, and and the right. Um, there's there's no no point in holding back on something like this, is there? Yeah. They do, yeah. <laughs> um, we'll get to it in a minute, but especially Dan Starkey, I thought he was an excellent yeah. choice. <laughs> there, the, you know, there was a moment when I was listening to Dan Starkey doing an impression of Tom Baker singing Land of Hope and Glory yes. and thinking, I spent money on this. Um, <laughs> you, you, know, you know, you wonder sometimes if all of your life choices have just not been very good. And then you go, no, they have been very good. Look, I've got Dan Starkey doing an impression of Tom Baker singing Land of Hope and Glory. <laughs> it was quite surprising. It isn't capitalism great? It, um, <laughs> Yeah, Strax himself uh, being and, and and doing good, um, recognised to be different Harry as well. His Harry really oh, sounded yeah. a, a good Ian Martyr impression, didn't he? His Harry was a good Ian Martyr. I thought, and we we seem to have moved ahead a little bit there, and that was my fault. I'm sorry, but the the I, I thought Dan Starkey's Tom Baker was slightly better than Louise Jameson's Tom Baker. Mm-hmm. Um, veered occasionally towards the oh lord what's he called matt oh come on oh toast uh, of london matt yeah berry. matt berry yeah matt, Be- yes. matt berry yeah <laughs> yes yes but yeah we've leapfrogged we've leapfrogged from john pertwee to- mm. totally my fault sorry it, <laughs> yeah it's not, it's not the high point is it the john pertwee one the house that jack built why is it called that um, because there's an episode of The Avengers called The House of Jackson, which inspired... It is the same-ish, but no. Um, I've wrote it. One thing I like about this is it, it mentions, um, the, the prose mentions Joe and her companion, meaning the Doctor. And I, I like it. I like it when companionship is used to refer to the TARDIS team as being each other's companions, rather than yeah. companion being the official rank of, of the Doctor's oh. side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a, it's a it's a two way relationship. It's a, it's a horizontal power distribution rather than a, a hierarchy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm speaking. I like Joe. Joe's my favourite. John that John Pertwee, Katie Manning era of Doctor Who. That's my absolute favourite. Mm-hmm. And this this wasn't. I didn't think particularly good. The house that Jack built. Is it the, would you say it's the one in which the least happens? Well, it's the one where loads of things happen, but they don't it, they don't really match up. You, you're you're told what is happening, and then yeah. you're, 
you give them the details. So they, they, they're sort of kidnapped, aren't they? Like a, the sweats, they're, they're dragged off by the molecular shaft or whatever <laughs> to, to a mysterious room and they're presented with a series of challenges, which is one challenge, really, which seems to be a chess game, which isn't a chess game, mm-hmm. which, which they defeat by John Pertwee, the third doctor saying, ah, I could checkmate in nine moves or something. And the computer explodes. And is that it? It's a bit Celestial Toymaker. Mm. It's, it's, it's not even as good as Celestial. It's a lot less racist than Celestial Toymaker. But <laughs> it's not. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, yeah. And, yeah that's damning something with fame praise, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Um, so this is yeah, the, it's, this is one of the stories that we do know who wrote it. Oh gosh, is it something I like? Don't say Terence Dix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, this was written by 16-year-old fan Keith Miller. Oh, best known for founding the Doctor Who fan club, the one that Peter Capaldi tried to uh, usurp in his youth. Oh. Um, <laughs> he was uh, he was at the BBC to see the three Doctors being recorded. And Terence Dix and Barry Letts took him to one side and said, we like the stories that you write for the Doctor Who fan club newsletter. Um, why don't you write something for the annual? Because the annual ones are rubbish. Um, so he submitted <laughs> this and was paid £9 for its inclusion uh, in the annual. Wow. £9 in 1975. That'd be nearly, that'd be nearly £12 now, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully you got another £9 for them using it on the... Audio album. album. <laughs> yeah, it, it is one of those things that, um, I mean, it is a thing a child would write, isn't it? Yeah. You know, kidnapped by a computer, but then they trick the computer and the computer explodes, but they've got the secret clue, which is mirror, mirror on the wall. And they were in that room that had two mirrors on the wall, do you remember? And then they, then they go there and then they go home. And that's it. <laughs> The end, can I have my nine pound post lord in please? <laughs> my bus home yet. That, that, you've reminded me, it's interesting that I said not much happened, and you've just reminded me that quite a lot did actually happen. It's just that absolutely none of it stayed in my brain. <laughs> just kind of washed past. Yeah. Doctor Who gives Joe a slap at one point, which is, uh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't get that now, would you? No. That, that, was, that, was, that was one instance of how they tricked the computer. Yeah, it's, it's just none of none of the. I mean, that you know, if, if you tell a computer, if you're playing chess with a computer and it says, "Ha ha, I've got you now," and you go, "No, I can checkmate you in six moves." If you were the computer, you'd just go, "Right, go on then." You wouldn't just you wouldn't just explode, would you? It's Fenric all over again. Uh, yeah, or the, can... the black Dalek at the end, the remembrance of the Daleks that uh, yeah. blows up after a good talking to as well, doesn't it? <laughs> Four part story, no time for fifth act. Oh, oh. <laughs> so, should we move on to the, the absolute high point of this collection? <laughs> yes, go for it. The Sinister Sponge, read, as we said, by Dan Starkey. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like, and stay with me on this, I felt like there was a very, very subtle anti feminist subtext to this story. <laughs> I didn't pick that up. <laughs> no, I mean, there's, there's the, has the PC gone 
Brigade gone mad again? Because I, I, I wasn't. I wasn't looking at that. No, it seemed perfectly even-handed to me. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, I'm glad that there's no um, kind of uh, other prejudices sneaking in around the inhabitants of the planet Inscrucia, who are very inscrutable for in, some reason. Inscruta. I looked that up on the TARDIS wiki at one point because I just you know, is that. It's that thing where you're sitting alone, sobbing, realizing you haven't made sense of any of this, and thinking, "I just look it up on the internet and see what that says." And there's nothing there apart from <laughs> it, it, a reference to Inscruta, but it's misspelt on the wiki as Incruster. And I thought, "Oh, that sounds quite, quite unpleasant." <laughs> <laughs> so what happens? So okay, now this one yeah. at least I've got off. So so they land. Sarah gets sucked into a flower. Something cabbage, something a sponge, a sinister sponge. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why have I written cabbages on my notes? Is that later? That's later. Yeah, the uh, this is the the eponymous sinister sinister sponge grabs her almost straight away. Yeah, I'll be honest, Pete. My notes for the entire (laughs) annual is just the word cabbages over and over and over again. (laughs) At one point, I've written anti-feminist with a question mark, and then I've just gone back to writing cabbages. Sorry, carry on, Pete. It's Sorry. quite a complex. Well, there's quite a lot of world building here, isn't there? But mm. but um, we've got. Uh, I don't know where to start. <laughs> um, how would you paint a picture of this world before well, discovering well, giants? Well, it's quite it's quite straightforward. All the men have gone see through and can't stand to listen to anything, uh, and all their women live in a big hall and come out and knock pans and spoons together <laughs> to irritate them. And then it turns out that that's because of this sponge that escaped. Oh, God, no. I can't do it, Pete. It can't be done. <laughs> this, this sponge, where's the sponge from, Mark? It's from the the completely neutrally named Femizor. Femizor. The women are in the women are in the village hall consorting with the sponge. The sponge having escaped from Femizor, where Doctor Who knows sponges are equal parts male and female hormones, right? But they're born mad. And become sane, but Doctor Who knows that they're actually born immature. Yeah, become... a- amoral and oversensitive, like Dave amoral Morgan. And oversensitive, so they're kept in pens to mm-hmm. cure their amoral yeah. oversensitivity. But this one escaped from a pen and started mucking around with some sort of thing in a lab it found, and then found itself on the planet of the men and ladies, um, and somehow made them. Made the men go trans, <laughs> transparent and oversensitive to sound, and and the uh, I, no. and they've had to go and live it, in a cabbage patch as well. Yeah, I knew there was cabbages. It, <laughs> it, it's like one of those um, uh, uh, the, the season twenty three abandoned scripts. There's a Wally Shane. <laughs> <one. laughs> <laughs> the It's like that, but written while it's extremely. Like, well, yeah, but, but they got Pip and Jane Baker in to write the last bit of it or something. <laughs> and they slipped them something before they got writing. I, 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 liked, um, I liked the clever way that Doctor Who overcomes the sinister sponge, though, which is he reaches in his pocket and pulls out some sort of mouse. That is, mouse yes, is, creature, I've written down mouse-like creature. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's it called? Just I, I, 
Ashra or something. It's very difficult to make out what it's called. But, uh, I mean, does he always have that in his pockets? That just seemed, <laughs> that's, that seemed um, out. I don't know when you think. Yeah, but you just never know, do you? Yeah. Um, yeah, and then the sponge becomes repentant and apologises. Yeah. And this is where um, Dan Starkey's delivery of the... Uh, because the way that the sponge and Doctor Who communicate is through a, a gobbling sound. <laughs> is it Femizonian femis, oropathy or something? Yeah. Or is that something different? And Dan Starkey, I think that's an antibiotic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dan and then it turns out that they can make, med- make medicine from mm-hmm. the cabbages to stop the men being so transparent and oversensitive to sound. Yeah. Which uh, yeah. the women having been cured of, because uh, the trouble started when the women started questioning the wisdom and authority of the men. Um, mm. The men had to go and live in the cabbage patch, like you say. The women would just come every day to torment them by uh, whooping and hollering and banging pans together, which mm. the men would just come out of the cabbages and just take. <laughs> they didn't move. <laughs> they didn't move away or anything like that. Um, even though their I, very bones feel, were turning to jelly. Need. So speak, speaking as a man who was born in the mid-60s and was there for a life, alive for the entirety of the 70s, I, I am really sorry about the 1970s. <laughs> a, 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 lot, a, lot of, a lot of mistakes were made. Were there genuine fears that this is what, you know, we'd clearly passed the, the thin end of the wedge by allowing, allowing ladies to wear trousers. And, uh, and we were <laughs> on the verge of any day with all the men in cabbage patches. Going <laughs> the, the next thing that happens is we all go transparent and we can't hear, yeah, sensitive to noises and we have to... What's the special sign language? that He wants a really fucking specific sign language. Sorry, I was <laughs> okay. It's like, but I'd be grateful if you do sign language section 37, subsection F or something. That's a, yeah. that's a lot of sign languages to have to know. <laughs> Yeah, but the uh, once the women are cured, the first thing they do is go back to cooking because they have to boil up the cabbage to uh, to cure the men. Well, or, or they go back to making medicine in their wise mm-hmm. matriarchal ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what you got. I think you got it by accident. <laughs> the writer is definitely not nudging us in that direction. <laughs> no, no, I'm struggling. Mark, do we know who wrote this one? This one we don't know, I'm afraid. Um, I w- it could be the same writer as Terra on Tyro because the, the the whole cabbage setup is <laughs> virtually the same. Yeah, it's, there's sort of an Id- idiomatic sort of um, synch- synch- synchronicities, <laughs> aren't there? The, yeah, I think it could be onto something there. The cabbage is big enough to live in, and in both cases, they they sort of need some kind of uh, uh, like a uh, a strut or something to stop them entirely closing in on them. Yeah. Yes. So, and and they start being digested in the cabbages, do they? Or have I dreamed? That, that was a different plant. Oh, that uh, that uh, swallowed Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Mark. Uh, but yeah, I thought Dan Starkey's delivery um, of yeah, like say Tom Baker and Harry and the sinister sponge mm. was brilliant. Yeah, it's a, a real. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone Sarah bad. doesn't Sarah doesn't get terribly much to do in this one, does she? No. No, no, not a sausage. Oh dear, cabbage. Um, <laughs> these first four have that com- this commonality of being having some Doctor Who ish things in them, but actually being nothing like what a Doctor Who story is like. 
and that's just that that is really interesting to me that that, that we don't get um in doctor who spin-offs and, and merchandise and books and everything we're so used to having things that do actually pretty much stick to the template unless they're going off to try try and be radical um sometimes but but usually there's there's a, there is that doctor who structure and i think the ones we're about to come to touch on that a little bit but well actually just maybe just only one of them actually <laughs> but um but uh the these early ones especially just really all of the 60s and 70s ones are just so un-Doctor Who shaped it's it's weird that they're even really Doctor Who-ish at all I mean no one would call what would you would you call the would you call these canon (laughs) (laughs) that that's that's a point it's a really good point Pete because I you know I, I I got the annuals during the 70s and you know and I was a, a, a big Doctor Who nut then you know and I, I was getting the Target novelizations as they came out um, you know never missed a Doctor Who weekly or Doctor Who monthly once that started um, but the annuals sort of occupied like a slightly different sphere and I you know I wouldn't have had the vocabulary at the time but yeah you know what I was doing was separating them out as not canon yeah, me too. And, and, and I mean, it was the eighties for me. Uh, but um, this, but that thing of this isn't—it's it's like you and your friends are playing a Doctor Who game. Yes, and, and that's exactly what you would do. And then you would go, and then the tree came alive, and, and then and then there was a Mega modem, and then the, all of the yeah. <laughs> and it turned out the the, ju- the the jury were the ones that were the trial was all about, really. Yeah, um, and then they said the computer. But what is love? And the computer exploded. <laughs> I do that at work quite often, actually. <laughs> I think that ties quite nicely into the next story, the, the Crocodiles from the Mist, which is the other fourth Doctor story. Oh, yeah. The idea of it being like a playground game because the, uh, oh. the, the climax comes down to the Doctor and Leela on stilts because the, uh, they're kind of going through some radioactive lava. It is a bit like that kind of game where, you know, you, you can't walk on the floor or something like that because it's lava. Yeah. Yeah, which I like. I actually liked that. You know, that that struck me as a sort of that's like an innovative thing. Or you go, they've got to get to a place. How they're going to do it? Oh, they're doing it on stilts. That's that's interesting enough. That's a thing somebody has invented and described, and it's all jolly good. I I, I found the um the 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 humorous. Uh, mixing up of stilts and kilts that Leela did a, a bit less hilarious than I think I was intended to. Mm. Yeah, yeah it was it. the only joke in it, and it, it yeah <laughs> felt a bit. Flat, but this, the, but for me, this is the first point in it, and maybe it's just because the other four have worn me down. But this is the first point <laughs> in it where I start to think this this could be a Doctor Who story. It would be. It's, it's not yet, but mm. but, but to, this is definitely Leela. This is not just the Doctor and a sidekick. Yeah, um, she she gets she gets stuff to do, but, and he you know he he sort of kicks her ass at chess, but then she beats him at draft. You know, and mm. it, there's, there's a there, there, that that's a slight sort of dawning of light. It's like a, mm. a slightly refreshing you know kind of attitude uh, to the companion after after the first couple of stories. Yeah, it's the one with famous illustration that's a hybrid of. Sarah and Leela and, and someone else, Stark or somebody, because they didn't actually know who was going to be playing him by the time it got printed. I don't can't remember if that um, I can't remember if that's this one. I think it is. And then there's a picture of Tom Baker looking a lot like Chris Searle. Uh, 
I'll, I'll, I'll share that picture because somebody did some um, uh, some research on it and it was the picture that accompanied one of the Tom Baker stories. Yeah, I think it must have been this one. Yeah. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just in, in awe of you name-checking Ku Stark in this <laughs> post-Prince Andrew era in which we're living. <laughs> I just she kept getting cropping up as being the person who was going to play the companion in a movie in the oh, 80s. Lord. Mm. She's in, she's, all I know Ku Stark for, she's in the Rocky Horror Picture Show some sorted stuff with Prince Andrew. Again, terribly sorry about the 1970s. And that's it. That's it. I didn't realize she'd been mounted as a companion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There was that pub, there was a movie going to be made by a company called Greenlight Productions. And, and it, just never, it was never really even remotely on the cards, but press releases kept cropping up in Doctor Who magazine in the late 80s, I think. Maybe the mid-80s even. Wow. Or maybe, maybe I'm hallucinating all of this. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think so. There was some sort of weird stuff going on. I, every once in a while I see a picture of a, a an alarming sort of bubble-permed man standing next to a, a proton car that he clearly got free, and it says something <laughs> like, you know, D- Dave Bloggins, <laughs> the next Doctor Who or something. What, what was that about? What was it? Is it somebody local who managed to convince somebody who's going to be the next Doctor Who? Do you know what I'm talking about, or have I introduced yes. this bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy got a free car. I only learned about this on Twitter a couple of years ago. This, but this guy around around the time of the cancellation mm-hmm. got, just kept phoning the BBC and saying, could I be the new Doctor Who? Could I be the new Doctor Who? And they kept saying no. And then eventually they said, well, I suppose it's theoretically possible. And then he phoned his local <laughs> and said, I'm going to be the new Doctor Who. Theoretically possible is good enough for me. <laughs> but doesn't, doesn't he claim that he shot a pilot? This guy does he? Oh my! I'm, I could be wrong. It just, uh, does, in, 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 about. in a war or like? A, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think he said he claims that, that the pilot was recorded. That he had um, his companions were twin girls. There is a, a DVD extra feature about this where they tracked him down and interviewed him. I'm sure. Wow! But I can't remember which that's, DVD it's on. That's, but if only he had had. Um, some crocodiles to fight, then <laughs> this pilot would have been much more successful. Yeah. Of, of, the, well, uh, of, of all the stories in this annual, this Space Crocodiles one is the one that has least stayed with me. Mm. What happens in it? There's there's some tuskers. There's some, there's some birds. There's some fighting. And then there's some stilts. No, it's gone. Yeah, it's it's probably the least engaging one, I think. Um, there is still some interesting stuff. I quite like the um, the idea that the Doctor just couldn't communicate with the crocodiles in a straightforward way. They could telepathically communicate some basic emotions, and then he had to hook up a machine so that they could uh, they could sort of send him some images so that he knew what was going on. Uh, it's a slightly they, different idea, yeah. isn't it? I think, and I think they probably start with the pun about crocodile tears and work backwards. Story <laughs> leading up to it, uh, yeah. And the, I've written down a whole sentence from here, a whole quote: "Robbing the space crocodiles of the evolutionary progress that they deserved." <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things. That's a, that is a very Doctor Who DVD. The idea that evolution just has a line that it will follow, uh, and uh, and if you. You can just roll it backwards or forwards. Yeah, rather than within the lifetime of these crocodiles as well. <laughs> yes. The other thing that occurred to me was it's quite unusual uh, for Doctor Who of this time, although it's much more common out of it, the broken switch story, because it's a crashed spaceship that's leaking fuel that's 
causing the um, the devolution of the crocodiles. Uh, whereas oh. generally, it's just a straightforward bad guy, isn't it? Or sponge. Or sponge. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess, and then Moffat's taken it to the extreme, hasn't he? Where, where oh, it's some robots that have got the computer program wrong again. Uh, and they kill everyone. Is that technically a broken switch story when he does that? Maybe that's a different category. Yeah. It's a hybrid broken switch antagonist story. Good Don't on. use the H. Don't use the H word. H word, please. Oh no! Oh, ah. Uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> so that's crocodiles from the mist. Oh, and the, <laughs> the, the next one. This is this is the Christopher H. Bidmead one, isn't it? This is Doctor Who in an exciting adventure with osmosis. There's the Nemetines, another one read by the John Nemetines, Coulshaw. Yes. yes. Yeah. And, and oh. This is absolutely a proper Doctor Who spin-off story, isn't it? Mm-hmm. On my disc, on my disc, it says this is read by Mark Strickson, but it clearly isn't read by Mark Strickson. No, that's weird, isn't it? It is weird, yeah. He must have been called back to Australia or somewhere. Oh. It's, um, because yeah, we're back to, um, what's his name again from the first oh, one? John Culshaw. Slightly perverse having John Culshaw on an annual that has two Dom, Tom Baker stories and he's doing Tom Baker in neither of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But he does do an amazing um, Brigadier and he's, and his, and his Turlough is also, it's, it's absolutely a Turlough impression. There's nothing it, it, about it. It is. His Brigadier was fantastic. Yes. No, I like that. He's big finishes Brigadier now, isn't he? Um, opposite Tim yeah. Chulaw's John Pertwee. Ah, have you listened to them? I've heard a couple. I really, I really um, like them. I, but but it, it does really snap into focus when he does Brigadier. It's amazing because it, it does just feel like it's Nicholas Courtney. It's quite yeah. quite, quite shocking. Shockingly good. He's very yeah. good. I think he originally did it for the Five Doctors audio book, uh, and that's what brought him to the attention of, of Big Finish because they were looking to to recast the Brigadier. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think because Tim Trelaw is a great third Doctor voice as well, so it's... It, does feel quite authentic when you listen to it. You quickly forget that you aren't listening to the original actors. Uh, they intimated at the big finish day last year that they're looking for a Roger Delgado as well. Ooh. <laughs> I've been working my way through some uh, Hammer Blu-rays, Hammer, uh, film studio. Uh, there's a uh, Blu-ray, Blu-ray company called... <laughs> no, yeah, no, no. <laughs> not the murder implement. Oh, I might have said too much. Um, yeah, no, there's a, a Blu-ray company called Indicator who have um, spiffed up some old Hammer stuff, which is absolutely gorgeous. You know, it's the, the film's not always deserving of the kind of treatment they get. There's a, a beautiful one called uh, Cash on Demand, which is basically a bank heist where um, a bank which is run by Grand Moff Tarkin and Slarty Bartfast is robbed by Quatermass, uh, which is, is truly exciting. But there's, um, there's what, one of these hammer boxes, which is just, it's just a box of racism. It's just horrifying. Uh, and one of the Blu-rays in it is called The Terror of the Tongs. And it, it just feels like where uh, Steve Coogan got the um, 
the that Doctor Horrible's House of Terrible Doctor Terrible's House of Horrible episode from because yeah. it's just it's it awful. It's just like Yellowfish right the way through. But it, it, it's got uh, Roger Delgado in it. I saw on the credits got Roger Delgado. So I thought, oh crumbs, right? Okay, I was going to keep my eye open and make sure I spot him when he comes in. And he walks in, and it's just like you go, well, that's the master. You know, he's not, he's not even remotely different from the way he portrays the master. Is that all he did? It just turned out it was Roger Delgado in places. But yeah, he's, um, he's tremendous. I loved Roger Delgado's master. Yeah, it was fantastic. Really. That's that, that's that's big boots to fill. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Um, now, the one person they're going to have real trouble recasting, not that it's going to be needed for decades, um, is Peter Davison. Because uh, there isn't anything to do an impression of, is there? <laughs> <laughs> he, is, he is himself, and he is absolutely unique, and you immediately know him when you hear him. Mm. But, but the room and goes, hello, I'm Doctor Who, I have a pleasant open face. <laughs> yes, yes, I'll just uh, scratch my, my celery. Which is here, here I'm, on my I'm, I'm, dre- I'm dressed in Edwardian cricket clothes, you know. <laughs> anyway, Mark, tell us the story of this one. Is it just the story of somebody laboriously explaining osmosis for a thousand words pretty much yeah it's it's an odd one isn't it the um the uh, the doctor tegan and turlew arrive back on earth go and visit the brigadier who says there's absolutely nothing going on there's no alien invasions so they <laughs> turn their hand to alternative energy sources instead Oh, the top secret Dead Sea thing. Don't tell anyone. We've we've been putting salt <laughs> in water. But it's not even no, it's not even top secret. What is it? it, it it's um it's above it's like super no, what is it? Oh, highly top oh, secret. Highly, highly, highly top secret. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there were different tops you can have. It's like, well, this is the lowest top. Obviously, this is just <laughs> top secret. Then there's medium top secret, as a few people know about that. And then there's highly top secret. No, top secret. Double, double top secret. <laughs> the top secret, right? That's that's the top. You don't get higher than that, apart from highly top secret, obviously. <laughs> anyway, it's highly top secret that they've been putting salt in water to um, march? Uh, generate electricity yeah, hydroelectricity oh. in some way yeah. no, that's what happens when you put salt in water definitely yeah. anyway this bloke been it by worms or something all his vital fluids have been sucked out by a worm yeah oh, no. nemertines those are real they're actually real things mm-hmm. nemertines yes. no aliens real, but... in this one yeah no Bidme doesn't um doesn't shilly shally when it comes to uh, making sure everything's perfectly plausible and scientifically credible. Absolutely, like the track. So, giant worms are swarming up the River Thames. <laughs> <laughs> Do we know why they've gone giant? I can't remember now. Uh, the, just have. It says there's some kind of research lab in Oxford have, have dumped some chemicals into the Thames. And yes. uh, it's a Doctor Who asks what the chemical was, and it just says they told him, and he said, "Ah, yes, that'll do it." But it's not named. <laughs> is, it, is, it, is, it, is it sodium chloride? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's his concise scripting. Yeah. <laughs> very close to getting to the point where the Doctor said something very clever, which explained everything <laughs> <laughs> and made perfect scientific sense. So yeah, it's. Um, so they the, kill the worms with salt. And... They, it feels like yes. something that's designed to appeal to kids who kind of like 
kind of a bit gory, icky stuff about worms that bloat so much they explode. <laughs> it's that um, the Doctor Who Sean Hudson crossover that nobody was looking for. Sean Hudson. Right, sorry. I, I realised as I was saying it, you don't... Uh, no. He's a horror writer. Sean Hudson. He's a horror writer of the 80s. He, he wrote a book called Slugs, which was all about people having sex and then getting eaten by slugs. Um, and that's his famous one. Uh, he's basically... He's kind of... By sprinkling, killed by sprinkling salt on them. Oh, I don't think they were killed at all. I think I, I think they just carried on to rampage and eat people who were mostly having sex. He he is. He, are you familiar with Garth Marenghi's Dark Place? Yes. Garth Marenghi is basically um, a piss take of Sean Hudson. Ah. I, 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 I can't, in all honesty, recommend Sean Hudson books. But he did, he did like he did he did, he did like he did like slugs he liked slugs he liked gore he liked people having sex and he liked uh, death and violence and stuff that was it. Is that a book that you currently stock did, in your bookshop? Slugs? Um, no, I could probably order it for you. Okay. Be a couple of days. Yeah, uh, I don't think we've got any Sean Hudson, I'm afraid. No, but I know who he is. That's the, that's, that's the best, you, best you can do in book selling these days is go, no, we don't have it, but I do vaguely know who that is and I could order it in for you. No, you're going to the internet? Yeah, all right, thanks, bye. That's that. Oh, sorry, have I brought everyone down? It's just, <laughs> it's all right. No, it's, it, I mean, it's late, it's late capitalism. It's something to be celebrated. You know, it was, no, it was never going to last forever, was it? Capitalism. <laughs> Well, but they're still people are still making a penny out of putting out these CDs. So, do you, well, you would hope so. Do you stop I mean, these how, CDs? How, how many? Well, we got one in because I ordered it. <laughs> um, there's a there's an algorithm. There's probably a computer somewhere with its tape wheel spinning backwards and forwards that will order another <laughs> one in because <laughs> I bought one. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, what, what's your estimate for things like this? I'm, I'm always a bit shocked when I see, you know, when you get a numbered thing and it says you've got like, you know, there's a, the, the Blu-rays I was talking about where uh, they tell you what number you've got of 6,000. Mm-hmm. You go, oh, 6,000 sounds like quite a lot. And then you go, well, it's not. If you imagine in a, a football stadium, 6,000 isn't very many people at all. And that's across the whole world. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know. I mean, what, yeah. what kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, and how many outlets there are, and how many retailers, and if they've got ten copies in each. I suppose it doesn't. But then, I, I guess overheads are so much lower nowadays. They, they can do these small print runs. Yeah, oh, totally. Lavish things like the big, the lavish limited editions that Big Finish do sometimes. Yeah, um, but because there's, there's 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 so little gatekeeping that happens now, and that's probably you know quite a good thing on things like publishing. You know, anyone can publish their own stuff. Mm. So the, there's like an infinite, not infinite, <laughs> but a massively bigger pool of uh, entertainment out there to be had. So, I, you know, I see figures of like, you know, kind of how many books you have to sell to be the best selling book in the UK on any given week. And it's not that many. Right. You know, and it's uh, so it, it just makes me wonder. I mean, how, how many of these audio annuals do you think they'll sell? Thousands? Yeah, I would. <laughs> Yeah, you just think it would have to be into four figures to make it because there's a lot of people to pay, isn't there? There's a lot of you've got all your different narrators. Presumably, the writers get something, or maybe they don't. Maybe just world world um, distributors, whoever ended up buying that, just get, gets the money from that. Yeah. 
Do they, you know, does, does Janet Fielding get some money because Tegan's in it, even though she's not playing her? Probably not. Actually, no, she wouldn't, would she? But do the writers who create does Chris Boucher get money because Leela, Leela's in it? That's a better yeah. example. Yeah. yeah, and, and the Brigadier because um, that's owned by the uh, the Hazeman Estate, isn't it? Us, yeah. So the Brigadier, they probably have to uh, have to fork out for as well. Mm-hmm. And then there's the whole minefield of the candy job books with the Brigadier in, which led to the hilarious guy in um, uh, the Brigadier, Colonel having to be the Brigadier's uncle because it couldn't be his father in the uh, in, in Twice Upon a Time. <laughs> they wanted it to just be the, the Brigadier's dad, but then it turned out that the, they didn't have the rights to use him anymore because they'd sold him years. <laughs> it had to be an unspecified relative of the brigadier, which is fine because they, they nobody had actually bought the rights to all possible relatives of the brigadier. <laughs> yeah, well, pres- presumably in about twenty years' time, Disney will own everything anyway. It'll just make things a lot easier. Or maybe yeah, yeah. the the inevitable start of Star Wars, Simpsons, Doctor Who crossover will be a lot more straightforward. Mm. Extended universe. Yeah. Extended multiverse. It comes next. We did. Did, did we? Have, we didn't have much to say about the Nemetines there, did we? It's quite no. gruesome, isn't it? It's the first, I mean, people get killed by monsters, which mm. hasn't. I don't think really happened. At least not not real people. You know, it's a, it's the, the, they find that corpse and everything, which is exactly what you would get on telly and Doctor Who in the Edges, because it would be so weird at, at this point. It would just be so weird if you were buying your kids a 1984 Doctor Who annual and it was full of stories about Doctor's adventures in, in, in comic book land and fairies yeah. and things, which, which in the 60s and even it was fine and in the 70s was a bit, could be made a bit more trippy. But by the 80s, Doctor Who had just become a, a much more straightforward adventure tale most of the time, with obvious exceptions. But, um, but then the next one, is a bit more of a reversion, feels more, more, more 60s. Yeah, so finally we've got a Sixth Doctor and Perry story um, called Beauty and the Beast. Seems a bit harsh, do you think, for that? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't say which one's which. <laughs> <laughs> so do we think the writer of this one failed his 11 plus? <laughs> yes, I've, I've written down Doctor Who and the Eleven Plus Terror. Is what you're Absolutely. Yes. I, I, I went through the Eleven Plus, and I, I will I will leave it to your own imaginations as to whether I passed or failed. Did I thought it was scrapped not long after I took mine? Well, Did I, you guys go through that? No. Mm-hmm. No, but it was always a controversial... I remember when I was a kid, it being a controversial thing that you'd hear on the news. There would be calls to bring it back. Yeah. In the 70s. Really? 70s. Yeah. It was dreadful. I mean, it was, I, I, I passed, but, you know, only because I... They, they, they didn't tell you you were taking it. So there was no mm. preparation for it. You were just sort of marching to a hall and you took this test. And then half of you went off to grammar school and the other half were ground up for pet food. <laughs> um, and that's, that's just the way it was. And it, you know, and frank, fr- frankly, frankly, now that we're free of the tyrannical oppression of the EU, that's the way it'll be again. <laughs> yes, put people back in their proper places. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because this is like the 1986 annual or something. So I think it was mm. it was about nine or ten years after the test had been phased out, which made me think it was the the writer still harbouring a grudge rather <laughs> than trying to satirise it to say this is a terrible thing that should no longer happen. <laughs> 
Yes. Yeah, it's um, it's another one where the, the doctor is hardly in it, is he? Mm. Yeah. Yes. He asks some questions and then says, of course, I'm not allowed to interfere. Bye. <laughs> uh, and yeah. Later is the TARDIS and they were discussing it. <laughs> yeah. They probably, oh, they probably all died horrible deaths, didn't they? <laughs> yes. <laughs> probably. Yes. Yeah, and when they're there on the planet, Perry says to the Doctor, it's terrible, these people are practically slaves. Yeah. And the Doctor just goes, yes. Off you go. So to explain the background a little bit, they, they land on a planet, um, it's a bit like Love Island, uh, everybody's sort of... Um, what, what's Love Island, Mark? <laughs> Well, I, I hasten to add I don't watch Love Island, but ev- everybody is um, unbelievably good looking on this on this place. Um, Perry is absolutely smitten. She thinks it's great. She can't imagine that anything bad ever happens there. Uh, <laughs> she keeps saying it over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> there is absolutely no way under any circumstances I can ever conceive that anyone as beautiful as this could possibly be anything else except like, good uh, but then they see somebody who isn't good looking and it turns out there is a, a slave class. Uh, and when they sit, I think in this, they sit the exam when they're 10, don't they? Um, and oh, so, yeah, see, there's you saying it's satirizing the 11 plus. It clearly can't be because they sit it when they're 10. Completely yeah, different. Just making that connection. Um, so half the people um, become, uh, get a makeover and live in absolute luxury. And the others are hideous, um, like, <laughs> lank-haired, like stooping um, slaves. Shut up! Shut up! I feel, I feel seen. <laughs> so they uh, they decide they're going to have a revolution um, because they, uh, the the drones are going to have a revolution because they don't like this. But I mean, the, the half of the people that didn't pass the exam they lost, and they should just get over it, shouldn't they? That's they how should. things work, isn't it's it? It's a now? democratic decision. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> people, knew, people knew what they were getting into. Yeah. They, they, knew, what they, they um, knew what the consequences would be. And these, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, it, and it, but there's a complicated bit about one, but one of them says that his father actually went on to become really clever in his teens yeah. and became a good architect despite his terrible. <laughs> uh, and plus exam got on his bike and he looked for work he got and that so that shows it to them yeah Yeah, which which makes me think got a job working at world distributors (laughs) 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 and let me tell you not a single annual went out with a blank page (laughs) always enough words what time is it quarter to (laughs) twelve Right. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, whenever you get these um, uh, sort of de- de- depictions of, um, you know, sort of paradises and things, and they're contrasted with, um, you know, kind of kind of underworld sort of uh, sort of places, the, the paradise never looks to be the, the preferable one to me. It always looks that little bit boring. Yeah, and and also adheres to a standard of cleanliness I could never hope to match. (laughs) (laughs) I'd spill coffee, like you know, within five minutes I'd have made a mess, and I'd have a pile of books and CDs and stuff, and it would—I'd just ruin the vibe. I know my place. You don't have any slaves to clean up after you, though. That's the problem. Uh, 
But if that's so stupid and useless, then they wouldn't be very good at it anyway. So <laughs> nobody's going to be happy with this set. So what, what's the context? Did you, I, I long stopped having the annuals. I mean, I, I was when I would have been twenty-one when this came out, uh, and really had put these. I put most of Doctor Who behind me by this stage. I'm sitting, to sitting in your ivory tower, having passed your eleven plus. <laughs> I was, yeah. <laughs> so, with my friends doing stuff in the world, it's all embarrassing, you know, and I, I, I came to accept that, no, I, I am actually a Doctor Who fan. Um, but, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd sort of put the annuals and stuff behind me. Do you, do you guys have experience of the 1980s annuals? Do you have recollections of them? Is this typical? I read Go on, Mark, because that's too young. Well, yeah, yeah, I am, unfortunately. Uh, I read them in the 90s when I'd picked them up from... Uh, of, oh, I remember me first Doctor Who episode. It was Rose. <laughs> <laughs> no, these were mine. The, the, yeah, so the eight, these, I, w- I would have unwrapped this. The, the, these 80s annuals were what I got for Christmas. Uh, and um, I don't think I ever read any of the stories in those. <laughs> because it was Doctor Who's amazing facts about how fridges work. Or, or oh, yeah. Doctor Who's... Straight, 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 straight to the word search. Word search, yes. Do yes. they have word searches? I'm just guessing now. Yeah, I've spent some time, uh, no longer do it, but I've spent some time filling space, and I tell you, nothing will do it like a word search. <laughs> it's you a didn't. great big square thing. It, it is. You click a button and there it is. <laughs> you didn't devalue your annuals by completing the word searches and crosswords, though, did you? I think I might have done actually, yeah, and possibly done. I might have enhanced some of the pictures. I, I, um, I was with moustaches and goggles and things. I, I, I've had a look and I can't find any of them. I, I think they might be at my parents' house, which means they actually might have been taken to a car boot sale by now. I just don't know. Um, so uh, I can't verify their condition, but they were definitely treated as a, a an interactive uh, gift. <laughs> I think that, that was slightly judgmental as well, Mark. I mean, temporarily <laughs> devalued them, but depending on what happens to Pete and what level of notoriety he subsequently achieves, those could become very valuable. Yes, and there are various ways that I could do that. Well, all mine are second-hand, and uh, I've got the word searches filled in. They've got different people's <laughs> names in front Pete. of them. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> If there's a picture of Adric with a particularly unflattering um, <laughs> draw, then you possibly have got mine. And it's a shame that these things didn't continue. I can, I just cannot imagine, only purely because I, I cannot imagine what a Sylvester McCoy one would have been like. It, oh, wow. If it was still being done in the same style, or would they, or would they have got David Aronovich to write it and it would have all been about <laughs> neo-imperialism? Yeah. And, be more, um, be more uh, likely to be Ben Aronovich. Also, yes. David Aronovich would be a bit of a Yes, it was funny when you said that they didn't carry on, but I thought, well, they do. They still do them. I've got the, the Doctor Who annual 2020 with Jodie on the front, brandishing her sonic screwdriver. But I know what you mean. They're, they're a different thing now, aren't they? I mean, the... the this year's annual has fact files on each of the stories from the last season that we've had. Yeah. And, and fiction. It's got any, any giant vegetables? 
and I haven't actually read them yet. It's it's a funny old thing. I've never quite worked out why, but this time of year in the shop, it gets quite busy. So I've I've not I've not had time to scrutinise it um, as someone scrutinises living creatures that swarm and multiply. And like, no, hang on, no, wait, sorry, uh, wrong program. Um, no, it looks more professional these days, and it's more TV oriented. And I I, I don't think there is room for these kind of totally off-the-wall kind of stories now. Although, having said that, I, I've, I've now become curious as to the nature of the the stories in this year's annual. I'll maybe give them a look. I would say um, Forest of the Night uh, is, is pretty close to an annual story in, in, in its... Well, it, it is, and I, I'm, I, I'm not going to take any shade for Forest of the Night. I like Forest in the Forest of the Night. I mean, it makes no sense and it doesn't sit with anything else, but I don't mind that. I don't, you know, I don't think it has to. I, don't, I didn't mind Kill the Moon either. You know, I think, I think it's... Um, I don't know. I mean, do, do, do you have strong feelings about them, Pete and Mark? I really like Kill the Moon. I think anything mm-hmm. that, that shows you something different, it's got big, bold ideas. Uh I just think I, I think Kill, Kill, Kill the Moon. I don't. I, I like what it tries to do, um, but I, I wish they'd just come up. They should have come up with something cleverer and better than the idea that the, it, it's a thing that then lays an egg that's exactly the same as the thing that it was. That mm. for me, that just, I just rolled my eyes at that. I didn't think that was imagine. It, it was wacky without being imaginative enough to actually convince me. Whereas the, the, the tree thing, no, I, I thought it was shite. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I mean, many people do, and I, I, I didn't. I, I know, you know, I, I don't, I, well, I don't want to try and describe other people's sort of cognitive dissonance about it, but it seemed to me looking, you know, speaking it, speaking as a man who watched the programme, got to the end of it and thought, wow, that was mad, and now we're, now we're into the next story. You know, it's like full, full stop, end of that chapter, onto the next story. But pe- people seem to want, more of a, a sort of a continuity uh, these days, and stuff mm. that is, you know, you know, sort of sort of narratively coherent with things that it can't possibly cohere with. And I, I don't really have that. I, I don't mind them sort of pressing a reset button and just doing a one-off, and it's got nothing to do with anything else. And that that is, you, you, you're absolutely right. You put your finger on it. That is like the annual stories. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think I. I I, I like magic realism writing. I love Angela Carter. I love stories where weird, amazing, symbolic things happen, uh, and it isn't happening because it was set up <coughs> chapter. It's happening because it, you didn't expect it to happen or, or, or it's wanted to happen. But and so I don't know if I'm just averse to Doctor Who going into that territory because I've got those things in two completely different compartments in my mind, which is possible. But um, but yeah, first of the night was that uh, like it was the child arriving, and you're supposed to suddenly be happy that the child's arrived, but it just felt but it was trying to deliver an emotional hit without having earned it or without having led you to it. Just just here's a child, start crying, she's come back. Why did she run away? Um, it, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, the, the, I, I, I wish I had a more interesting counter, a more interesting opinion than that. No, no, no. no, well, no these, these are very good claims because I don't really have a defence for it other than to say I quite like it and it didn't upset me. You know, it's just like it was. It was a thing that entertained me entirely while I was watching. I don't think I particularly cried at the end when the kid came back. Um, you know, the kid was back, and you just go, "Well, okay, that's weird, uh, but it's a thing that has happened." And then we move on to the next thing, and it, it's that sort of. Um, it, it's a thing I quite like about. Doctor Who, and I, you know, I, I have thought from time to time about why I've stuck with this just silly program for as you know as many decades as I have uh, throughout all of its you know sort of its sort of various incarnations, and I don't have a, a better answer than that. I just like it, you know, and it, it, it's um, it, it seems to me that I've. I just assume I'm going to like it, and then whatever I'm given, I, I like. Uh, Actually, although straight away I can think of some counter examples there, but not you know ones, not not ones that have made me huff off and never watch the thing again and throw all my old Doctor Who DVDs onto a bonfire or anything. And I, you know, it's that um, that that sort of fragmented nature of it that I'm really fond of. You know, I, I discovered today that. Uh, DC Fontana died, which is incredibly sad. You know, and she she was uh, uh, you know sort of a huge figure in early Star Trek, which I adore. Uh, you know, I, I love absolutely every single minute of Star Trek up till the end of Star Trek 2, and then, and then I can't bear any of it. And I don't know why that is. But it's, it feels like it's something to do with the way that Star Trek tries to make itself part of a huge, coherent universe, because that's not interesting to me. Uh, you know, it's it's got sort of very clear... Divisions. It, it seemed to me that it, it would appeal to people who like to know their station and who like uh, who like predictability and who like to know, you know, kind of how you would respond in any situation. Whereas I quite like that sort of slightly more freewheeling bohemian, yeah, doesn't really surrender to an easy explanation kind of thing. It's just personal preference, I guess. Yeah, but and, and that's what Doctor, I mean. That's the thing with Doctor Who. It, it, it's got to be the most flexible format that's ever been invented that can that, that it can encompass um, um the sinister sponge and the deadly assassin and all you know all of these other things that, that, that have got on the basis on, on paper almost nothing in common except they somehow both both can be put as served as as some doctor who and yeah. and and there are episodes that everyone's got their favourite and the least favourite. It's not a thing where it's it's, it's like it is like supporting a football team that, that does not always win and sometimes loses. And you don't then say this football team is no longer the best football team. I no longer support it. it, um, it I think it gets that as in, in that respect because and, and even when there's been whole series that have left me fairly cold, I've never thought it's going to be forever. Yeah, and, well, that, yeah. Well, that, that's, a, that's a crucial aspect of it. And, you know, so, so living through um, the, the current series, I, I, I have my own Doctor Who podcast that I do with my friend Lawrence. Uh, and, we, you know, we, we haven't yet really seriously got down to discussing the Jodie Whittaker stuff. Um, and we will. We will one day. And it'll be quite interesting for me to find out what Lawrence thinks. Of it. I'm really enjoying it, but I am aware that there is some kickback. And, you know, whenever I, I'm, so, I'm selling Doctor Who stuff in the shop to someone, I, I like to embark on a Doctor Who conversation. You know, and I'm finding there are 
girls and young women who are just fantastically empowered and excited about this era. And there are some grumpy people who are absolutely, uh, mostly men, I'm afraid, and mostly men of my age, who are massively put off by it, whose argument appears to be, well, you can't do that. You can't have a female doctor. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, I, you can because it's not real. It's made up. You can do whatever you like. You know, now, I, fortunately for me, I, I'm, I remember as far back as the JNT era, and John Nathan Turner, who I think is now quite correctly you know, sort of praised uh, for what he did with the program. But he was reviled at the time. You know, and I, I even just about remember how sniffy people were about the portrayal of Gallifrey in The Deadly Assassin, saying, you know, it doesn't, it's not the same as it was in the war game, yeah. uh, war games. And, and you know, it, it's always had these sort of bits where it just suddenly changes or there is a big lurch. And you're quite right, Pete, because then it always changes into something else. You know, if you don't like it, just wait, suddenly something else along in a minute. Mm. The beautiful thing about Doctor as well is it's there forever. <laughs> you know, the people that wrote these annual stories 50 years ago didn't think that anybody would be reading them or discussing them in, in, in you know, decades later. Um, and everything's constantly reassessed like that. Like you said, even I came into Doctor Who in the 90s, and although I didn't really know any other Doctor Who fans, I was reading Doctor Who magazine and DWB and fanzines and things like that. Um, and the Sylvester McCoy era, which I absolutely loved because that was where I came in, was just slagged off a lot of the time. Um, yeah. But now it's it's part of the classic series, which is generally all seen as great um and you know the the season 26 trailer that's come out to universal acclaim pretty much and everyone's really excited about the season 26 box set uh in a way that you know maybe wouldn't have been uh if it had come out much sooner or without the new series there to uh, to give it a bit more perspective i think yeah, I, I hope I live long enough uh, to see the bit where people suddenly, you know, start watching Jodie Whittaker's first series and go, "Bloody hell, this is absolutely beautiful." That's mm. it, and generations as yet unborn will will do that. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe they too will get to enjoy the Sinister Sponge <laughs> <laughs> on, on their TV screen as the ninety seventh Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, finally gets that, that on-screen encounter um, <laughs> but um, maybe not with translucent people in Femizors oh I don't know yeah it's all it's part of the charm isn't it it's the, the indefinable magic get the sons of Grek in there and I'm I'm, I'm in uh, yeah <laughs> Great, and we're getting a, a compilation of stories from the, the Dalek annuals as well. I think that's how it is. I've got it. I've got it. It's here. Hang on. Look, ready? I'm holding it up to the microphone. I got it yesterday. <laughs> it sounds brilliant. It's majestic. You, you won't have heard the first one. I've heard the no, first but one. I, I can hear the sound. I mean, the sound of you waving the DVD is brilliant. Uh, the CD. The sound of you waving the DVD is brilliant. I, I'm, I'm having to just imagine the rest. The um, the first story, Mark, is narrated by Matthew Waterhouse. It's as far as I've got. It's actually really good. Excellent. Yeah, I really enjoyed the first one. The, the, these were sort of um, Terry Nation's unused scripts for his American Dalek TV series, which he then recycled into the annuals. Uh, so the, there's a cast of characters that, that keep... I assume they're, they're going to be in the second volume as well, which um, I can't remember the guy's name now. Uh, Isn't he called Mark? 
He might be actually. <laughs> There's Mark Seven, the Android, isn't there? Yeah. Yes. But the main guy is Major. Ah, I can't remember what it was now. Nah, that escapes me as well. I don't. They're not in the first story. Ah, right. Okay. Joel. Joel. Something. I want to say. I think they're named after Terminations kids. Uh, I think there's Joel and uh, Rebecca, who is the, the second in command. I think I remember reading that somewhere. Yeah, so uh, that's where the names came from. Yeah, I'm just excited, excited seeing the Dalek font on something. And is Nick Dalek Briggs back for Dalek. it? Sorry? Is Nick Briggs back? Oh, yes, indeed. Uh, Read by Nicholas Briggs, Matthew Waterhouse, Louise Jameson, and John Colshaw. I wonder if we get to hear Louise Jameson's Dalek voice. That'd be nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah track one, the, the Fugitive, read by Matthew Waterhouse, first published in the Dalek Annual 1977. Then it's Anatomy of a Dalek, Assassination Squad. That must be your guys. Yeah. Davro, Davros, <laughs> gen, genius or madman? No question mark there. Uh, <laughs> hostage with an exclamation mark. Blockade, the planet that cried wolf with an exclamation mark, and then the final story, nightmare. Ah, oh, this is tremendous stuff. That sounds fantastic. It does. Sure, I will really? cover that on a future podcast. Yeah. So j- just in case, um, just in case anyone is a- absolutely obsessed by the idea of these, there have been. I've got what have I got here now. One, two, three, four, five, six. So there was. Uh, the first audio annual, the second audio annual. Did you have Doctor Who and the Invasion from Space? Yes, I've got that one, yeah. Excellent. And then Sinister Sponge and then the two Dalek attack ones. So that that's a, that's a lot of annual material on audio there to be had. Mm-hmm. Highly yeah. recommended. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, definitely, I'm definitely going to... Um, Look around at some more after after these because they are they are enjoyable in their weirdness. Absolutely, it's a, it's a completely different flavour. Yeah, I was going to say they're not like anything else, but they're, they're a little bit like some of the big Finnish companion chronicles sort of stuff. That, mm. that, that's the nearest kind of vibe I was mm. getting. Yeah, and I suppose increasingly the annuals are probably harder to get hold of. Like when I was collecting them in the nineties. You regularly see them at sort of car boot sales or uh, second-hand bookshops, but as with the Target books, you see them less and less frequently. Uh, yeah, so probably uh, the, the, maybe the cheapest way of enjoying them, certainly. Yeah, and it's, it's a very finite pool of stories. I don't think they can sort of keep churning these things out. They're going to run out pretty quickly, unless they can track down the writers to uh, commission some more. Well, I don't know. I mean, Keith Miller must be must be in his thirties by now. They could do the missing stories. Any ideas? Story around to writing it. There's a nice Cabbage. interview with him in Paul Mars book um, where he thinks that maybe J.K. Rowling uh, took the Dan Chester idea from his story for the um, I can't remember which Harry Potter it is, but one of them has a giant giant chess game. Oh uh, yeah. So I think almost certainly an influence on Harry Potter. I would still so, yeah. <laughs> uh, so our, our listeners can hear you on the Highlanders podcast, John? 
Oh, crumbs. Well, you know, when we do it, which is is, is decreasingly frequent. Um, good, whenever, whenever Lawrence and, and my orbit intersects, we, we sit down and do a thing. I think we've been doing uh, the the Martha series, the series three, isn't it? Mm-hmm. One, two, three. Yeah. For about the last two and a half years, <laughs> we'll eventually get to the end of it. Uh, but there's a hundred and odd old episodes. I, I mean, to be honest, I wouldn't bother. If I were you, it's, it, there's, there's no concession to the casual listener. It's not interesting or entertaining. It's just two old men. I don't even know what it is we do. It's, it's really, if it's anything, it's just a, a record of the, the sad decline of two men who didn't quite, make, didn't quite meet expectations in life. There's, there's better podcasts. That's your new tagline. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Don't listen to this. There's better podcasts. <laughs> and where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, I am at Feeksby23, uh, Foxtrot Echo Echo. What's X? Xylophone or something. What's B? Bra. And what's Y? Yellow. Foxtrot Echo Echo, Xylophone Bra Yellow 23. That's me at Feeksby23. And was Fe- that was that clear enough? My first is it? It's like again, a riddle. Again, I, I would say following me on Twitter is not an, it's not a rewarding experience. <laughs> yes. I mean, but feel free to do it. I'll follow you back. You know, not fussy, but it's not. You know, there's nothing there for you. Not really. Uh, and Pete, our listeners can hear you on most other Doctor Who podcasts as, as one of the most, <laughs> the most in demand. <laughs> Take them all down. <laughs> they go on. I'm yeah, coming I, to the hype just to make sure you do it. So that I can, even if I'm not there, I'll be banging on the window. And people will hear. <laughs> one of the most in demand podcasts uh, guests in the business. <laughs> And uh, I'm on Twitter and would be lovely to say hello to anybody. Uh, uh, I am prof underscore quite a mess on Twitter. It's just the, it's the most brilliant Twitter handle, Pete. I can't believe I was the first person to think of it. Well, probably wasn't the first person to think of it, but I bagged it on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I did it for, it was, you know, if people changed, you changed something. I did that once and, and just stayed with it. It's like, that's much better than my real identity. <laughs> I very Pete Lambert is very funny as well. You're too damn creative. It's no wonder you're on all these podcasts. <laughs> Tish and nonsense. <laughs> I've just got nothing else to do. It's very good. That's the main thing. I, I, Availability secret. <laughs> I struggle with my name when it comes to the, the kind of Halloween names or Christmas names. It's not very adaptable. But you've got but you've managed to get two Doctor Who puns into your Twitter. Yeah. Is, which is like boss level. <laughs> it just stays the same. No, I, I, I like the sort of the, uh, the seasonal little quirks that everybody else has, but I, I always draw a blank on them. Mark. Yeah, it's it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? One syllable is the problem. Yeah. Mark the Herald Angel sing. That's uh, I've got it. That's what. Hey. <laughs> And, and we were here to witness the birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I will be Chris, up Christmasing myself to very tree Lambert for, uh, for a while. <laughs> oh, <in my> <laughs> oh, I like it. 
No, I, I've got. I've just gone for John festively, and it's you know it doesn't really work. It's not a pun. It's just got some of the same letters in it. But uh, your frightened bee at Halloween is is very fine work. Oh well, yeah, yeah. Funny ones, funny all the time. That's a few Halloweens in a row. That's uh, that's been on the go. Very good. Wicked. Wicked. <laughs> well, thank you very much, guys. I, li- I like the way your podcasts end, Mark, because yeah. frequently Lawrence and I struggle to end a podcast, whereas you, you adopt the process of going, that's the end of the podcast, yeah. shut up, off you go. <laughs> and that's, that's it, that's the end. But this one seems to have, um, this, this has gone, this has gone a bit uh, uh, return, return of the King, hasn't it? <laughs> no, I did discover that early on, that I really struggled to end them, so uh, I, I tried just to... Uh... I think the last time okay, I was, it was Charlie Brooklyn. Yeah, no, I, I mentioned this the last time I was on because I got the, the name of the program wrong. Uh, but Charlie Brookie used to do a Radio 4 quiz, and at the end of it, it just used to go, end of the show, end of the show, and that was it. <laughs> I can't even really say that. <laughs> <laughs> I have officially run out of wit. I'm literally at my wit's end. Great that, fun to talk to you both. On that <laughs> oh, bombshell. I think why don't why don't you make us give arbitrary numerical scores to each of the story in the stories in the annual mark? That would be a good jumping off point. That's an excellent idea. It's a terrible idea because I'm just going to say ten for everything because I, <laughs> I, I object I object to quantifying qualitative experiences. But come on, give it a go. <laughs> okay, Tyrone Tyro. Ten. Six. Seven. I've got to work out the average now, haven't I? <laughs> I don't think you have to do it live. <laughs> Seven and a third. No, it can't be right, can it? You could just do the total rather than the average. That might be easier. Yes. I don't... Uh, 23. Uh, phantoms. <laughs> follow, I, was, I forgot what I said already. <laughs> follow the phantoms. Follow the phantoms. Ten. I'm going to go five. I'd uh, uh, Seven. Uh, 22. Okay, uh, the house that Jack built. Nine and a half, but very strong nine and a half. Five. Yeah, five for that, I think. So uh, then what was our oh, sinister sponge? Ten. 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 Cro- crocodiles from the mist, in the mist. Ten. Eight. 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 Six. Uh, the Nemetines. Ten. Nine. I actually really like that one. I only got four for that one. I found that uh, to be. And then finally, Beauty and the Beast. Probably the Ten. strongest moral of them all. <laughs> Shame. I can't give it 11 plus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Nicola Bryant's impression of when Nicola Bryant has to read it as the queen of the people. She does it right. <laughs> she just goes full queen. <laughs> Uh, Vasilis is saying, stop this crap. <laughs> <laughs> was a so what, what, what one? Uh, the Sinister Bond. Oh. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, that was excellent. So how do you do it? How do you quantify a qualitative experience like that? 
I once did a spreadsheet of every single Doctor Who story and I went through them and gave them all a, ra- a rank out of 10 and then sorted them by that rank and then I did my true ranking, which was really brutal, slotting each one of them into a place in, like, so that, so that only 10% of them could be 10s and Ooh. only 10% of them could be 9s. Only 10%. So I got, a, I got a qualitative ranking of Doctor Who all the way from, from top to bottom. Uh, and then within those, those groups, I then sorted them all again. Um, and ended up deciding that Genesis of the Daleks was the best one, and I could have just said that. <laughs> <laughs> it was like scratching an itch for me. I do, I, I do data for for a job, and I and I, I mean, spend a lot of my time in Excel. Uh, and, it, and this was like this was like pleasurable data instead of data that I just get paid to do and don't really care about. <laughs> That's a beautiful story. I actually mean that. <laughs> Quite choked up. <laughs> I just took numbers out of the air for those. Uh, not as interesting of a story. But the Simpsons <laughs> was the best one. Well, it's that whole thing then, isn't it? You know, the, you, you don't only, always only watch your favourite stories, and sometimes watching one of my least favourite Doctor Who stories can be the most fun thing to do because I don't really remember it as well. And, um, and yeah. yeah. I like the way that what you're doing now in your head is sort of reenacting Beauty and the Beast, but with Doctor Who stories. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, some of them just should not have been made. I don't feel that about any... Mm. I was going to say, that's heresy. Go on, which one? No, I was saying now, I don't. If you'd asked me in my 20s, I would have said that Delta and the Bannermen is the reason Doctor Who got axed. And mm. if it scared people off, and it's, a, it's, a, it's just a cheap sitcom without jokes, and, um, and that's why nobody was watching or paying attention when it got brilliant again in season 26. Oh. I, I, was very, I was a very harsh 20-something. I'm, I'm, no, so that's a nuanced take. That's good. I'm, I'm much, more, um, much more appreciative of the breadth of different styles and whatnot now. Yeah, and I think that's what I was trying to say before, is that that's, you've had sort of decades of the old series now and it all just sort of, uh, what's the word? ameliorates over time doesn't it and you, you come to love it despite everything and I think the same will be true of the, the new series the people who are kind of completely opposed to, to you know Moffat or Chibnall or whatever that's going on at the moment it will all just become part of the the flow of, of Doctor Who history won't it and uh, yeah or they'll just go away and be fans of something else and, yeah. and then it will will stop hearing them yeah Babylon um, 5 isn't it it's the yeah uh, mm. Uh, in the Levine thing, he deceased. He um, switched uh, switched allegiance to Babylon Five, didn't he? I think. Uh, oh right, yes. Yeah, sorry, I was pausing there because I was waiting for the. Pe- I, I was thinking. I was thinking. I have I got the, the penny hasn't dropped on what you're saying, and now it has. <laughs> yeah, he did a, a quite a dramatic sort of flounce on Twitter where he, he said he was no longer a Doctor Who fan. Now he's a, a Babylon Five fan instead. Sorry, who did this? Ian Levine. <laughs> oh right, goodness me. Do you remember he had that? He had a huge Twitter meltdown. Look, I'll narrow it down. After, <laughs> he had a huge Twitter melt, series of Twitter meltdowns after um, episodes were being broadcast in the in the, the first in Jodie's first series um, because people were fraudulently retweeting his old tweets. Yes. Saying, what a fantastic episode! Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was Twitter searching for um, for old um, tweets of his like that that were suitable and like. Nipping onto Twitter ten minutes after the episode finished and retweeting. I've never enjoyed an episode more after um, the, uh, spiders in Sheffield. And, uh, <laughs> oh, what a shame! What a shame! I always feel terribly sorry for angry people. It just looks exhausting. 
Yeah. What else they could be doing with that energy? Well, thank you very much, guys. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to leave that nice pauses. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> On that note, later in the TARDIS, Mark and Pete and John were discussing how the podcast ended. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Uh, the time has flown by. Yeah, uh, thanks very much, guys. Mark, thank you so much for having me. No problem yes. at all. Thank you for taking the time. Much appreciated, as always. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much for listening at home. Goodbye. You guys can say bye as well. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> He's so strict, isn't he? <laughs>